3: I don't want the pressure of making something a thing.
2: Well, I'm not making it a thing. I'm just I just think that with that that's quite an interesting thing. I've had
3: a I've had my new That's what I'm saying, but we can talk about yeah. it Dan not have an interesting one. I have no idea what I've ordered in Amazon. Well you, Yeah, I know,
2: but that's you never know that. We've got more uh, we've got uh, more God. boxes than Amazon.
3: I know. Is that camera getting me at like the worst so, angle, DK?
2: You
1: get your best. I've set it up for your best.
3: Oh, have you? Is it? I was sent it. I don't have to hold my tummy in for the whole time. Don't cut it or anything, but just let me just swivel is that all right yeah okay
1: yep, you
3: know with me with my hated profile because i can never decide right so this i can
1: is... i can move no camera. don't
3: move it don't move it I'm because it, it leads me into talking about something because i can't see it which is good if i saw a monitor i'd freak out because i've got this right so when i was 50 so it was before i knew lincoln i had my eyes done right surgery on my eyes What kind of surgery? It's called bless blephoplasty or something. Bless
2: these bags.
3: Bless these bags, yeah. Removal, Removal service. Obviously, when I was 50, my lifestyle wasn't conducive to looking fabulous. You know, I was drinking and using and in a really dark place. However, even when I was not, you know, I still maintained a career, you know, and I still didn't drink every night. I still went to bed and got sleep. Even when I was not tired, hereditarily, we have a bag here on the Welsh side of the family. My son said, oh, brilliant. And then you married Tim Healy because, of course, you know, he's known for being a craggy faced actor. So there you go. But anyway, <laughs> I, um, I had this bag and it was basically, I'm, I am definitely not the most vain person in the world. I'm absolutely not. Lincoln, I am don't worry about going out without my makeup. I don't worry about wearing the right clothes and all of those type of things. But that's when I'm an actress or me. When I'm a presenter on television, I obviously want to look the best I can look. And it was casting a shadow all the time. Anyway, boring myself talking about it. But my then agent, Lindsay Granger, fabulous woman, she died a few years ago. She was the daughter of Stuart Granger, the swashbuckling actor. <clears throat> my God, she had a few stories about him. He was such a misogynist. But anyway... I said...
2: You might need to Google him, actually, because I don't know he is. I'm quite well, interested.
3: Do you know Stuart Granger? Never or Oh, you'll know immediately Stuart Granger. He was in all the movies. He was married to Gene Simmons, the actress. Um, he out was, of Kiss? What? Not Gene Simmons out of Kiss. Gene I'm Simmons, only
2: kidding. The,
3: the actress, the wonderful I'm Hollywood actress. When kidding. he was 34, she was 18. There's a story behind that as well, isn't there? So, mm. God, bore off Denise. I wanted to get my eyes done. Now, as somebody on the television... We very regularly get people who will do treatments, invasive or non-invasive surgeries for nothing for you to talk about it. I knew gob of the time that I would um possible podcast title that I would um (laughs) (laughs) that I would um talk about it probably anyway, but I wanted to find the best surgeon in the country to do this. At whatever price because it was it's your eyes, it's your face, you know, and I'd never had any kind of surgery um before. And I found this guy called Naresh Joshi, and it took a year to find him, looking all different research and whatever. But he worked mostly for the National Health at the Chelsea and Westminster. He was responsible for people who'd had major accidents, major burns victims, you know, responsible mm. for restoring their their eyes to their as much to their former mm. glory if possible. And he did cosmetic surgeon on the side anyway I went off to see him and he did probably looking at me going no he didn't but it was 14 years ago but he did a brilliant job and literally three weeks later I was on television and you couldn't really tell there was no bruising and I always said somebody said to me oh you're on a a slippery slope now you know once you've had your first surgery you'll never stop you know because they look at some of the people in the public eye who just go from one surgery to another and end up looking like the bride of Wildenstein, and I knew that would never be the case. But I always said if something was making me unhappy, and I could, I would change it. Mm. And what's making me unhappy? Maybe too strong a word because I'm 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 not unhappy, but I can't stand my profile. Mm. And I'm considering it's whether just, this to get
1: falls very harshly into the category of something that you see that nobody else sees.
3: Well. Yeah, I'm,
2: I never think. I never think anything.
3: I know, oh, but yeah. I think that when you get surgery, it's like my friend who's just had her boobs done. She said it's not for my partner. You know, it's for me. Mm. Her partner's fine with them, and um, I mean, you know, bloody hell, I can play keepy uppy with mine. So obviously, I've got a very husband who obviously doesn't doesn't care about that. Why are you looking at me like that? Oh, I know it doesn't bother you, but anyway.
1: Well, we've all got things that bother us, hey?
3: Yeah, this oh, yeah. goes back to. I, I'm i not like Barbara Streisand who goes into places and has her own lighting crew and they light her from the up, you know, and stuff like that.
0: Mm.
3: But I'm very conscious when I'm filming anything. And the camera is here on my profile because of my neck. So if I had surgery, it's not... For my face I can deal with that and the only thing I have is a little bit of Botox once every three months just a little tiny bit and here I've got a wonderful woman Suda who does it um but it's here in the neck and you know when you go in a lift and you're faced with all these mirrors all the way around here it just freaks me out because I think who is that old Nana in in the lift and it's here so that's why I was mentioned that that's a that's a 10 minute story of have you got the camera on my double chin? DK? Um, so I'm just shifting myself around. But it is something. I've been to see this surgeon called Norman Waterhouse five times. He will no longer see me for a consultation. He said, I will see you to do the surgery, but I won't do consultation every time because you just keep coming and never moving forward with it.
2: But he did say, how oh, well, you your skin had, uh, you know, the, the elasticity, what was it? Elasticity. elasticity. What he did say was about five you, years you ago, I went and... to
3: see him. And he, he said to me, do you mind if I have a student um, in the room with me? And I said, not at all. And Louis was with me for some reason, very odd for Louis to come, but he was with me. Anyway, he said to me, um, okay, Denise, so what work have you had done since I last saw you and why didn't you have it done with me? And I said, I, I haven't had any work done. And he looked at the notes from when I'd been five years previous and the notes five years ago, And he said, well, what's the difference? And I said, well, the only things that are I've given up alcohol and smoking. And he went, you have given yourself a natural facelift, which I had never noticed. But he looked at what he'd written that I would need when I was drinking and smoking. And the difference was quite incredible.
1: Even that many years on. Even that many years on.
3: And he, you know, so. But what he said was, he said, with my work, he's very well known for his surgeries And he said, um, I give you the oval back in your face. So it's sort of, I don't know if you can see, but it's like you do that. And it just, it's very subtle. And he showed me some before and after pictures, which I love, not of famous people, but of people who had offered to, you know, do before Mm. and afters. And he would show me a picture of before and then and he'd say, how old do you think that woman is? And I'd say, I don't know, 65. Then he'd show me after the work, how old do you think that woman is?
2: 80, no no
3: no no 65 but like he said that's it I just wanted to it's not about looking younger it's about looking the best you can for that age yeah and I now said how how um how, how would I need it done again if I have it done and he said well put it this way if you had an identical twin sister and you had the work done and she didn't you would always look better than her
4: hmm.
3: but I'm just nervous. We've well, been so you've been talking it. about this for five six years. No longer been talking about it, but the thing is because I've got short, very short hair as well, and I love my hair very short. It's where the scars would go as well. DK's looking at me as if like, oh my god, bothered. No, this is but
1: just news to me. I mean, it's I know, all fresh information. I know. Information. It's
3: just um, it's something I don't really talk about it, at length. I'm not, I'm not embarrassed at, at, about it. There's a few girls at work. No, at, you always talk about your women. friends. And, and, and to be honest, we'd all, all like about. little nips and tucks done because we've all thought we could all go mob-handed and get and get some work done and get a discount and then all go on Loose Women and just tell people it was the lighting because we'd all look so so much better. But um. But anyway, so, so I'm just conscious of profiles.
1: Do you? Are you the sort of actress that never watches yourself back, or or do you? As an actress, hmm.
3: which I have to remind myself is my real job, sometimes, hmm. rather than her who rants a lot. Um, as an actress, I can watch myself in anything. Okay. To be honest, I it is the one thing that I know I do very well. And I'm very open about saying that. I am a good actress. I love it. I'm very good at it. I know what to do. I'm an instinctive actress. I'm not a method actress. So therefore, I can um, watch myself in anything. What I will find nigh impossible is to listen to this back or indeed to watch Loose
1: Women back. Your own words. Yeah. I
3: I, I, I can't handle it. It's like, oh, my God, shut up. Oh, God, shut up, shut up. You, I'm like that, aren't I? If ever, we, yes. if ever there's something either Lincoln's been on or there's something we've talked about or a guest's been on that I want Lincoln to see, I have to sort of fast forward my bits. Not from the physical point of view, although okay. obviously I'm always going, oh, my God, you know, whatever. But it's just, I don't know, hearing myself talk as me, considering I do it for a living, I find really hard to... Um, to listen to, listen to. Um, but you know sometimes sometimes I have to and with this
1: So what, what's this? What have you got in front of you?
3: Oh this is just just during this week because I've been in London all week I've just jotted down a few a few little a few little things that I've been going on about because I wanted to talk about the um, there's something I want to talk about which is more serious about ADHD but I wanted to tell you DK how brilliantly the gem appeal video was received.
1: Ah, this is the week. charity that obviously you the charity patron of
3: people see a lot of my photos and the glamour of the gem appeal ball which was Saturday. Obviously it depends when this is this is going out but you know it Middle was November November the, yeah. November the 19th. Mm. Um and we had obviously you know with your very kind help made a new gem appeal video because the old one was a bit dated. So it was quite nerve-wracking having it shown at the at the ball for the first time. It's also nerve-wracking. I get myself really, really hyped up for this ball because you want people to have a great time, obviously, because it's a big cre- pre-Christmas big bash for a lot of people, you know. They spend a lot of money on tables and whatnot. But at the end of the day, the whole point of the ball is to raise money. But of course, what when people get a bit merry on the old um, alcohol, it's hard to shut them up. So I have to get the balance of being firm, mm. but not shouting. Shut the fuck up! This is about the charity, and nearly get there sometimes. But I tried to do it with a little bit of humour. But anyway, you could have heard a pin drop when the video was on. And uh, who
1: introduced it? Was it yourself or
3: I introduced it? So I got up first and did my speech. Obviously, this is that was my twenty-first ball. Wow! Um, it was. Yeah, it was, 21st Ball. So many people there have heard, but I just get up and I and I talk about the Gem Appeal, which for those people who don't know it, and I would like to take this opportunity to say we all have our own charities and I support some much bigger charities and, that have a lot of support. You know, very special charity, Teenage Cancer Trust, I support. But that has a lot of support. Gem Appeal doesn't. 20 odd years ago... I met Karen Johnson, who had two boys who had Hunter syndrome. Their life expectancy was very short. She then had a daughter, Katie, who wouldn't carry the gene, wouldn't manifest the gene, but would Mm -hmm. carry it. So relief, Katie wouldn't have hunters. But then when she was um, four, she was diagnosed with leukemia. So when I met Karen, both her three children had two terminal, one a life-limiting condition. Katie is alive and thriving today because she got the bone marrow from Mikey. Both boys died when they were 12. Karen set up the Gem Appeal because she wanted to find a cure for her boys because there was none and there was not enough being research being done into these genetic um, conditions. So over the 20-odd years, we've raised £3 million. I play a small part in that. Well, you know. Well...
2: I wouldn't say, well, I'd say it's a big part of myself. Well, they were and very generous see, you know,
3: on the night. They were very yeah. generous with what
1: you they said. You all work but... together
2: and it all works out really well. Yeah. yeah, It's
1: amazing that it is such a small charity. Like, yeah. I, know, I know cancer is such a headline thing and it affects so many more people. But, I mean, <clears throat> it was the first time I got involved with this charity. And when you see what happens and how badly kids can be affected by genetic conditions, that, you know, inherited conditions. Absolutely. It's crazy it's that crazy. I mean I suppose it just makes you realize how many conditions there are out there that that just don't have a spotlight shone on them.
3: Well that's right. And and, it, and it's it, just down to
1: this local charity to local do all of this work. Yeah.
3: And and to support the willing unit that it's at the Manchester Children's Hospital. You know they wouldn't be able to keep going with this if it wasn't for Gem. And obviously there's no government funding for this it's all it's all just um, you know fundraising and contribution. Mm. And of course since since It was started, we have this enzyme replacement therapy, um, which is now, it's not a cure, but it is able to lengthen the lifespans Mm. of the children. So we celebrated, didn't we, in the video, Harry Hudson, who was at the ball, who's now 18. And we also had David Alton come on the stage.
1: Oh, did he come? Yes, he came,
3: because he'd been poorly, hadn't he? He came, and it was his 35th birthday. On the day, yeah. And mm. um, I've got a nice photo of me, DK, which we can maybe when this episode goes out, we can maybe flash okay. a few yep. of these uh, I- I- I images um, of, of, of David. So that was really quite, quite special. The ball was amazing. Um, I was wearing um, a dress that was sparkly blue um, Cinderella dress.
2: It's the biggest dress you've ever seen. It's the
3: biggest dress you've ever seen, and the hottest. Is, it, it was, is
1: this the Cinderella dress from Cinders, from Cind- as we yeah, spoke about that on the last episode? Yeah. Yeah.
3: Sharon Bowen, who is the most amazing dress designer and has created my ball gowns for twenty-one years for this event, she had made me a dress, but she's now living in Cambridge, so I wasn't able to get to her to have a fitting, mm. and. There was a couple of problems with the dress that because I wasn't well when she sent it to me, I hadn't really addressed in enough time before the ball to put it on and go, oh God, I can't really wear this because of A, B and C. So I had to say to Sharon, my God, your dress is so beautiful, Sharon, but I'm going to have to wear it for another occasion. I should have got back to you, but life has been so busy. I had bloody COVID, so I was laid up on all this time. Anyway, I had to go, I went to Cinder's and thank goodness they found this dress for me. When I took it off at the end of the night, it was the most orgasmic experience in the world. My noises were orgasmic because of the weight. And it was like I was sweating so much. It was like you had dipped, Lincoln unzipped me and I was, oh, oh, like this. And then, and then, basically, it was like the, wasn't it? Like it had been dipped in a swimming pool. Yes, yes.
2: Oh like, You've been, been swimming in it. Yeah, it's
3: hard work, DK, because I'm, I get so invested in it. But um, we're waiting for the tally. But hopefully, hopefully, if all the pledges come in, the charity will go away with about sixty five thousand, mm. which may not seem a lot with some events, but to the Gem Appeal, that's a lot of money. Mm. Um, well, it is to anybody, but it's it's you know it's it's a lot of money. That's after everything's been paid and yeah and whatnot. It was quite oh, it was quite great, day, magical night. It?
2: Yeah, very All good. Of me, me, you know.
3: Loads of me, loads of me, Corrie friends came, lots of the Hollyoaks' came. You know my obsession with them. Um, reality television which for an actress I get a bit embarrassed about because you know it's it's a cheap way of making telly and I should be very much against it but I'm afraid I just love reality television you know I can't help it so Married at First Sight was my was my last big binge and um so i'd followed a couple of people and they followed me back and then one of the guys came and sang at the ball because i heard sing oh, thing married at first sight so I adrian sanderson he mm, sang brilliantly didn't so, he? impossible so. dream he was brilliant. shitting himself but he was so good victoria ekinoy ex-corrie death in paradise she's brilliant bloody survivor she is double mastectomy sickle cell amazing woman she sang um and um and yeah, it yeah and man. it was, and it was, it was for all the, all the crowd from Unbreakable, the series that we won. I think a lot of people were very pleased to see Simon Weston, our friend from, he was the Falklands. Oh yeah. Hero. Simon's been a very good friend of mine for years, 25 years. I used to be patron of his charity, the Western Spirit, and he was in Unbreakable with us. So Lincoln had never, um. I'd met him a couple of times, but I'd never spent time, time with we'd him. A would never spent time with him. He's great. And, um. He's just Yeah and Lucy. Yeah, it? it was just great, you know, Unbreakable was great for Simon's story to be told because a lot of younger people won't remember Simon Westley no. and what went on in the Falcons War and how, you know, he had ninety nine percent burns and he's had hundred and fifty surgeries and wow. you know, it's absolutely unbelievable and his sense of humor is incredible is, is beyond, isn't it? So yeah. So yeah, so we had um so we had an absolute uh, ball. And then I was, but well, we had a ball, at the ball. Jenny Powell, who's going to come in one day and have a chat with us and Bruce Turner. and um, They did the hosting. Jenny's a brilliant host. Mm-hmm. And Bruce... Yeah, Bruce, Bruce done a great job. Bruce did a great job. Bruce is the twin of Millie Turner who plays for Lionesses. And Bruce is one of those kids who he works his bollocks off. He wanted to be an active presenter, but because he knew that was going to be a long process, he was applying for jobs everywhere. He got a job at children's bbc yeah and he's worked his way up the ranks and now he's producing ambulance that series ambulance so he's been in the northeast doing that he'd still like to do presenting and he is a good presenter isn't he and his twin sister millie as i say plays for the lionesses Mm. so does her girlfriend Rachel. millie turner millie turner and she's best friends with jill who um
1: jill scott who jill scott Mm.
3: yeah Who's been in the jungle? But as we record this, we don't know if she's won or not. Right. But I hope she does. I hope she beats that fucking Hancock. Because <laughs> I tell you what, I'm not going into that again because I know I ranted about him last week. But um, it's unbelievable to me. Twitter this week. I'm sorry everybody if the jungle and all of the Matt Hancock stuff seems like distant history, but it, it's it's current while we're while while we're we're doing this. And if you look at Twitter this week, guys. I'm the bully. I'm the bully um, th- from doris three two nine two followers. You know, and there's a lot of them, the people who are voting to keep him in. Why would they vote to keep they him are. in? They are. They're voting to keep him in. They think that it doesn't matter what he did. It wasn't his fault. He fell in love and I should shut my mouth because I had an affair. And I cannot say enough that it's got nothing to do with that. But I'm a bully and they say, "E, you're a terrible advocate for mental health. Excuse me, being an advocate for mental health for 33 years, patron of several mental health charities, and don't think that Matt Hancock should be being celebrated in the jungle, leaving his constituents behind, and keeping us from the people we love during the pandemic." But never mind. I That's think me. he's.
2: I think he's put in on a real, a so real I. front.
3: I think it's a complete a, a front. A
2: complete front. I mean, he should be an actor. So do I. I he's mean, dreadful. You know, that's not natural. You watch him, that is not how he naturally is. I'm sure of it. He's—it's well, really is. A,
3: it's working. It on. It's working, whatever oh, the situation yeah. is. I can see uh, that. I can see it's, that. It's working. But I tell you what, there's most people in the street. It's so interesting, you know, because at, you can tend to get, well, I can. I can tend to get enveloped into the Twitter sphere of nastiness. But it doesn't stop me saying what I want to say when I feel that I'm in the right. But it was interesting because last night I went to see um, Elf, the musical. I was invited to the premiere of it and my agent, Bex, looks after Simon Lipkin who plays Buddy, the Elf, the main one who I was in Wind in the Willows with. Um, and you, indeed you introduced to my agent. Yeah. Yes, you're welcome, Simon. There was the red carpet there and... You know, but I got not mobbed, not like I'm Madonna, but I got so much many people coming up to me last night. But it was lovely because they were true fans, and it made me realise that the Twitterati is such a tiny percentage. Of what people think of me. I mean, you know me now. I'm old and ugly enough to be able to deal with all that stuff. Otherwise, I wouldn't put myself out no, there. No, yeah. But it was, it was lovely to have so much. But I always said many to you, lovely yeah. things said to me of what people on the street think of me because that's the forum, not Twitter, mm. to, you know. And it was just, it was just, it was, it was just lovely people saying mm. very nice things. Yeah, I was very glad to be there. And the show was for someone who's a bit of humbug at Christmas. It was a lovely. Christmas show. Simon was excellent. My friend Natalie was in it. She played different parts in Winter the Woods, but she was the horse, you know, that everybody laughed at when she was the horse in Winter the Woods. Natalie Woods. And Tom Chambers was in it, who I was in Waterloo Road with, who then went on to uh, win Strictly many years ago. So that was, that was nice. Um, and then coming out, I was with my friend Richard, and who we met on Unbreakable, partner of Stephen Bailey comic. And, um, I said to him, oh, will you just wait till I get a black cab? So I'm going from the Dominion Tottenham Court Road to White City. We walked the length of Oxford Street on a Thursday night at 10 o'clock and not one black cab passed us with a light on. Not one. Mm. Not one. Yeah. We were on Shaftesbury Avenue. We well, We were on, yeah, we we on Shaftesbury Avenue minutes. just
2: outside Soho. We waited for
3: half an hour. 55 minutes till, till we ordered one ourselves. Yeah, about that, yeah. Not one black cab with a light on. The reasons are that during the restrictions, a lot of the older people just thought, ah, oh, bollocks to this. I'm retiring. Mm. Can't be asked. Mm. It's never going to be the same. I'm giving up that. Yeah. And now, Sadiq Khan is taking their cars off them after 12 years. Did you know this, DK? No. So you've got these sturdy black cabs which many of them have many more than 12 years in them perfectly functioning cars and he's making them get rid of them after 12 years and if they don't get an electric one they can't drive An electric ones are 75 grand is that right is that is that, is that what they said that what i the, talked well, you know okay. me how much i talked to black oh, drivers oh were you
2: talking to cab drivers oh my god yeah i love yeah. well the, you see so these things but you, you don't can't Lincoln
3: no you on his uber thing do not talk to me
2: well, yeah, but you, you can write, do you want to talk or not? I don't want to talk. But pick the He says, pick the car. Oh, preferences. Do you want to talk? No, I don't. That's, that's got to be solid. I don't want to talk. I think you should have, I, I truly believe this, I think you should have a little thing on the window in a black cab. When you get in a black cab, there should be a thing on the window and it should be a little thing. You know, like a do, do not disturb sign sort of thing. Mm. You should be able to push it across. It basically says, don't talk. And then it's basically, what, uh,
1: you know. Uh, uh, what would Denise say?
3: You know, where you. <laughs> yeah. Well. What yeah. have you been doing today, Charlie? No, I'm not always I, in the mood to talk. I know, I get it. But you can that. make it, I wouldn't make it as obvious as you. Right. You just, well, you know what he did once on an aeroplane? I wasn't on the aeroplane. Lincoln, and I do understand, so he's on an aisle seat. There was a woman across the aisle on the seat. He put his headphones in and she continued to talk to him. And apparently he leant over and said to her, I'm really sorry, please don't talk to me. I don't talk on well, aeroplanes. I would have. Actually I don't died. talk
2: in transit. Is that what sounds, I would say. That sounds pretty polite. I don't talk in transit. I don't talk when I'm traveling.
3: Oh my god, I would have died. Yes,
2: but the do other you thing remember? That you do... do you remember when you were sitting next to that lady on the plane? Because and you I... made
3: me sit next yes. to her. Yes. No, because right. What so we always GK have. Right. Is... Like, so
2: what happens is right. We're going. We we're coming in, in down towards the plane. Right. So walking to the. you Walking know, down the. You know, to get galley to get into the plane. I always check the 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 cut the. No. the Lincoln boarding has, passes. Lincoln, I always control the boarding passes because I am. The
3: boarding passes. I am. Let me tell Mr. you about airport. airport man. We talked about that. We did a pre-record. Everyone, knows we we have to do some pre-records to to keep us on air when we're not on air for loose women. Um. So we try to do them as live as possible, but there's sometimes our pre-records. So we did one. Yeah, I can't remember if it was on the live or the pre-record. Did you watch it when when we were doing airport man?
2: Yes, yeah, you mentioned oh, the, um,
3: airport man. Yes, Lincoln yes. turns into. Bearing in mind, this is a guy who in his Soho days was a loose cannon, was the law was something that was for other people in many ways with Lincoln. Now, airport man, if Lincoln could go to the airport 24 hours before the plane left, he would. So when it says be there two hours before, Lincoln makes me go. He starts with five hours and we usually compromise on three and a half. Right. He will sit at the door if there's a taxi coming, like Paddington Bear on the case with a marmalade sandwich, fucking waiting for the taxi at three o'clock in the morning. If we're travelling with our friend Angela Lonsdale, I can see them. They are both Paddingtons waiting, you know. And if the if the taxi is a minute late, they're ringing each other, right? The two Paddingtons. Anyway, we get to the airport and. The passport is whisked off me. The boarding card is whisked off me into some kind of laminate situation. An airport man has taken over and he will hand me the, the boarding card. I'm allowed to show it and it's whisked back out of my hand. Um, and there was indeed once when we were sat at an airport and it was somewhere like Tenerife and we were sat having a sandwich and I knew in my mind's eye that we had hours until our flight was to be called. Mm. Suddenly, suddenly, over the tannoy. For the final call, Lincoln, I see this man appear around the corner in a state of heightened anxiety with a red face going, Get the fucking bugs! Final call! Get the fucking bugs! Den, den, the, the bugs, the bugs! When someone does that, you go into panic mode. I grabbed all the bags and pulling the charger out at the out wall once. and everything. We ran down miles to we the did. We We ran down so there. Sweating, sweating. We got there. It was like they'd obviously said, would Mr and Mrs Ponsonby Smythe come for the flight to, you know, bloody Tehran or somewhere? It was nothing to do with our flight, which was three hours to go. But that's who we're dealing with. But I've lost my thread of what I was talking about, airport no, man. I, no, I... I I like to position
2: myself on the plane, so I'm not sitting next to anyone. I don't want to sit next to. You're going to tell a fib though. So obviously, love sitting with you. So what I do is I go through the boarding passes as I'm walking down, very secretively. And you're not
3: sitting at the window. And I go, oh, I've got the
2: window seat, which I I haven't usually. And then I hand to the, you know, to the stewardess.
3: And then then rushes and pushes me, pulls me back. And mm-hmm. rushes up the plane every time DK, and we travel quite a lot, and goes into the window seat, leaving me, the famous one of the couple, in the middle, well, famous as in TV, famous, mm-hmm. in the middle
2: mm-hmm.
3: next to the stranger. Yeah. Every single time. So I I I do follow the I'm very polite, but if it's a longish flight. I don't want to talk to someone I don't know all the time. So I get the book on my lap and I get the headphones on. And there was one flight where I did that. And I could tell that the lady, you get a feeling if somebody wants to talk to you because mm-hmm. they recognize you. Mm-hmm. And that's lovely in many settings. But I just got a feeling that I would be talking for five hours on this flight. And so I, I kind of... You know, I, I looked at my book and I had the hef- headphones in and stuff. Anyway, she sat next to me and we didn't talk. I was desperate to go to the toilet, but I didn't want to go to the toilet. So I sat there and any way myself. Anyway, at the end of the flight, I didn't know she was with anybody. She got up and her husband was sat over the way. And we heard her say, well, that was the worst flight I've ever been on in my life. She was so rude. She didn't, she didn't say a word. She didn't say one word to me. Not one really word. Really loud. Like we could hear it. She's standing there saying. Like, like as if like we're not like even. Like as heard. if I'm a performing thing, do you know? What I mean, as if I'm s i am was supposed to as if she was like a competition winner to have a flight. Because I'm really polite to everybody, aren't I? I love talking to I love talking to people. I just got the vibe from this woman that she would never shut up for the whole time. But that's why why were why were we talking about the air, the airport seat? What took us on to that? Well, no, because we you
2: were saying about we talk about black cabs and I said if you could get in a black cab and basically have do not disturb oh, yeah. I'd have it on. So anyway, a I was just talking, Oh my god, Tom there we go, it. you see. Because it's always the same
3: conversation anyway.
2: No, I know. Oh, well, there was, right
3: there, no, all right, sh- mate. All right, mate, how's no, it going? Shortage of, no, no, I had some great conversation. I had a Don't great conversation have- with a guy called Mike. I actually asked if I could tape it the other day with, with Mike the the, the cabbie because I thought oh we were having a right rant off to each other. But anyway, um, cabby talk. We can have cabby talk. Cabby, but I love, I, I don't always like it, but this guy, you know, often the cabbies know what my views are on things and, and we'll connect on that score. And obviously everybody likes talking to people who agree with them. So, but no, not one cab. And um, we walked all the way down, not one solitary taxi. But this woman cabby, I spoke to a couple of weeks ago, she said, my cab is 11 years old. It's in perfect Nick and I'm gonna to have to get rid of it next year and I can't do anything about it because I just haven't got the money to invest in another taxi. So that's why there's no there's no cabs. And um and it's a real it's a real shame because obviously even with Uber, which of course we use, but we try to support black cabs as much as possible, don't we? Your family were black cabbies. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, but you just can't, you know, you can't get them. So I had to go on the tube on my own at eleven o'clock at night. That mm. was great fun. That was last night. Around you didn't know straight. Oh God. Yeah. Oh, God. I, yeah. It's a bit nerve wracking actually. I don't. It's a bit with the world being a bit lawless at the moment. It's just there's an energy. There's an energy around people who've been drinking on a tube mm. when you're on your own. London
1: is frantic. You know. I mean, I grew, I grew up in London as as you both know, but yeah. I couldn't live there again. No, it is. Yeah, it, it makes it's just takes my blood pressure up. Um, especially going on the tube and that it's uh,
3: and the thing is, experience past- in itself. You know, we it? we're very lucky that we've we've got a flat at the minute, so we are kind of betwixt and between, pretty pretty equally at the minute, and, it, and it's great being able to just leave the north and not take a massive case and mm. stay in a hotel and all of those or type of things are great. But, you know, the idea was that we'd go down there and we'd go out much more in the evening and everything. And, and, and we have been. I think but we've there, been going out a no, lot. No, we have. But I'm saying there are times, like, um, like recently, where we were meant to go and see something in North London. And because of the cab thing, because of everything, you just think... Oh, God, it's it, it's much more difficult to get around in London. The traffic is so horrendous that, you know, in what would be a normal 25-minute cab ride, it can be an hour.
1: Mm, yeah, I mean, no. today
3: it Why took no? me nearly an hour yeah. in the car from White City to Houston. That's a 20-minute ride.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: But that flyover in that past
2: Grenfell yeah,
3: yeah, Tower and all of that thing was, you know, an absolute nightmare. <clears throat> Um, was yesterday on the show, um, which I don't think has been out yet. You didn't watch the one about ADHD, did you? Yeah. With, with, with Nadia. Well, yeah. That was on the live show. Of course it was. Yeah. It was on the live show yesterday. Of course it was. Yeah, Nadia was in the papers today.
2: She was in The Guardian about was it
3: yesterday. Yeah. Nadia Sawala, who was one of my mates and um, loose woman colleague, We've always laughed and joked about our, the way our brains work, me and Nadia, compared to some of the other girls on the show. How we are both, I'm always saying I'm a tidy person trapped in the body of somebody that's not tidy because I love nothing more than tidiness. We're not talking about cleanliness, we're both clean. I'm talking about untidiness, organized chaos, some some unorganized chaos in bedrooms, in houses where we live. I'm very tidy. No, please don't even go there. But um, well, DK's snorting because he knows that you have the Francis Bacon Studio and worse. Nadia and I have joked about being untidy people. We've talked about the fact we've had alcohol issues. We've talked about the fact that we both have tendency to compulsively eat. I found that lighter life is a way to train, retrain my thoughts with cognitive behavioral therapy. But do I fall off the wagon? Of course I do. That's still in me, like in food, in food, in food. food but yeah. th- still in me, you know, in alcohol. If I was to start again, you know, I don't have the what. One glass is too. One glass is not enough. Two is too many. End of story. Same with food. If I get on that sort of roll, and just many, many things also you will notice while I'm doing this podcast that I go off on a tangent all the time. Now, that's okay, but I can never remember the origin of the story. And that's not something with age, it's something that's always happened. And for the life of me, I would never have remembered what the origin of that airport story was. But as I've got older, it has worried me because I've got friends who are living with people they love with with dementia, With Alzheimer's, people of my age. And we all do that thing of, oh my God, oh my God, Alzheimer's, oh my God, oh my God, OCD. And, you know, these are things that we shouldn't bandy around because OCD is an incredibly serious condition. But as you get older, things that wouldn't worry you when you were 45, but when you're 64, do worry you more. I'm not a health anxiety person. I don't live with health anxiety, but this. Way my brain works sometimes tires me out. And I interrupt a lot. I know I'm aware that I do that. Really? But but I but I think of it as I'm just passionate about things. I'm very sensitive to not twitterati stuff. I've developed a hard skin about that. But if the if a shopkeeper is short with me. I'll go home to Lincoln and be upset about it. And he goes, why do you care that the shock? And I go, because I wasn't, I wasn't, because I wasn't even, I wasn't pushing in. I wasn't, you know, I'm overly sensitive about my new tie of of life. Um,
2: It's very interesting to break those things down like that. yeah.
3: But it's just me, obviously. And I'm okay with who I am, but I know I have things that irritate people. Anyway, yesterday, Nadia has been diagnosed with ADHD and ADHD falls into the oh my god you know I'm going crazy oh my god I'm a lunatic things that I've tried to stop people with because of the mental health journey and don't call people certain names be careful of the terminology around mental illness without being too woke about it um and 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 similarly, OCD, I've seen people with severe OCD, and it's not just, I've got to make sure that I turn the iron off twice. You know, it's it's not that. But it's understandable that people use it like that, but we should be more careful. And similarly, ADHD has been bandied around as, oh, he's just a naughty kid. It's just much easier to give him a label and say it's ADHD. Oh, so you're untidy. Oh, so now it's ADHD, is it? And I, I've never said that about ADHD, but I have listened to people who think that everything has to have a label now. Also, ADHD as a diagnosis has been mostly attached to men. So Nadia, for the show, not for the show, she was having it done anyway, but told the show and they asked if they could send her to the top people and have it done as a, as a piece, as a segment. And she has been diagnosed with ADHD.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Her husband, Mark, already had been. Mm. Mark is bipolar. Um, there were other things that were getting in the way of the diagnosis. When the show was over, and it was a very, very sensitive, to very important to see Nadia and her reaction to it, because it was a bit like a friend of mine's husband, who's in his 50s, has recently been diagnosed Asperger's. And he said, you ca- I cannot tell you the relief it is not because there's anything they can do about it because i now understand my behavior yeah it's explained it's not a one of my favorite ex, it's not there aren't reasons then there aren't it's not looking for excuses for, for my behavior it's lucid, looking for reasons mm. and i've always said that about my alcoholism and about my drug use and about certain things is that I can't excuse any of my behaviours, but if you look into it, there are often reasons mm. when I've been judged for things, quite rightly so.
1: I heard that on, on a podcast. Um, Emily Dean was interviewing Lee Mack. Oh, yeah. And he was diagnosed with ADHD uh, a couple of years ago. Was he? Yeah, yeah. And, and it explained it it was very therapeutic for him to get the diagnosis because it, it explains a lot yeah, for sure. him and explains a lot you can see and it from our point of view as well you know when you look at him and and how how sharp he is and how quick he is and how his brain is just working 24/7
3: and it's a bit like you know how active i am on with things like the way i was during the pandemic because i felt as a non-religious person a lot of the bullshit that was going on i felt like i had a calling You know, when people say they have a calling to do something. It's the first time in my life, politically, I've felt a calling to speak out. And it was speaking out to the point that Lincoln was worried about my mental health, my physical health. We had a stalker. Was the stalker doing this because of my stance on COVID restrictions and how it was affecting people and the bullshit that I knew was going on in Downing Street and, you know, all of of these things that... But it was like I was I felt like I was carrying it for the whole country. It was ridiculous. And similarly, now things like the Matt Hancock thing, it's like the girls at work are going, because I they said yesterday about me having a diagnosis. You know, should I go? And I said, Yeah, but you're trying to change my personality. You know the fact that i am more passionate about things than you guys the fact that i'll put my head on the parapet more than you guys doesn't make and they were going no 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 den we just sometimes worry about you that we wish that you didn't take on well i this is the what, worries of well, the this world is what so much i say to you as well when you can't do anything
2: i say these things to you all the time literally. i know
3: you do but then I, but then i get cross with you by yeah, saying I know you do. but you're not but but if everybody was quiet and nobody did anything change wouldn't happen I know that I can't change certain things, but I still feel if I don't say anything, I'm letting people down. But I wish that I could quiet my mind about it because things do live, you know, the sort of expression that people use, rent free in my mind when I don't want them to because I'm 64. I get quite emotional about this because I'm 64 and I want to enjoy Whatever time I have left, I don't want to stop being involved and and connected and have a voice, but I want to stop being frustrated with those who don't, who choose not to use it. I want to I want to quieten my mind, and what Nadia has said, because I said. The thing is, I'm on an antidepressant. I'm on hormone treatment. I don't want to change my personality. And I don't want to affect any drugs that I've had, you know, that because uh, I've been diet depression free for three years. Mm. And she said to me, Dan, what I'm on has just made sense of stuff in my head. Now, I'm talking about this because it only happened yesterday. I've got a lot more to discover, even about Nadia's story, Mm. you know? So I'm not suddenly going, oh, I'm sure I've got this. I'm an authority on it. I'm just simply relaying what happened yesterday. Yes. Do you know on the NHS at the moment, guys, there is a waiting list of seven years. Mm. Imagine that difference in seven years somebody could make. To be diagnosed. Imagine with young children, who are just treated as well. It's a bit like with dyslexic kids. For years, they were the thick kids. You know, when you think of all those poor children who would have been forced to wear the dunce's cap at school. Mm. You know, in the, in, mm. you know, even in my day, the dunce's cap was kind of still around. Mm. And many of those children. Listen, some kids are just little shits. Some adults, are just untidy sh- big shits. But it's don't um, look at me. Oh, I'm not don't, looking at the you. Both of you were looking at no, me. We What are your thoughts? Is it something you know much about, DK?
1: I really don't, but um, it's evident. My kids are at school, you know, in very early primary years. And it's interesting to see all the different characters amongst all the kids. And, you know, you wonder as an adult in our society now, when we're aware of all these things, you kind of look at children and you think, hmm, I wonder you know, but then you don't want to over test no, as don't. a parent and as a friend of other parents of kids, you don't want to second guess. And, and no. you know, some, some parents do have a lot of problems with their kids, you know, in yeah. terms of behavioral and and, and learning situations. Um, we're, we're quite lucky. My wife's a teacher and and she can sort of take our kids under her wing and, and guide them forwards. Yeah. But to be fair, if it wasn't for her, I think our kids could struggle uh-huh. potentially, you know, slip behind and then as my wife says would always then be behind Behind, yeah because the 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 size of the classes
3: just doesn't allow for catch-up doesn't
1: doesn't allow for catch-up and differentiation to the point where they can yeah make a difference
3: with my depression dk i mean one of my passion projects that if i just if i just had Loads of money that I could just pour into a project, you know, it would be a three part. Remember, I've said this for years, haven't I? A three part mental health story to show, obviously, like how a film or a book <clears throat>
1: or a documentary. Okay,
3: a documentary about obviously the end would state that we still have so far to go, but just how far we've come since I've Mm. had it, 33 years. But when I think that when I first had it, when I had Matty, there was nowhere, had I not had the, the, this is something I have said many times in different forums, had I not had the family that I had, would I be here? No,
2: you're, you're talking about postnatal depression. So you haven't Well, said, I'm talking about yeah, postnatal
3: depression, which is, where it, started, became, which is which where it is started, which is the origins for many women. And sometimes, and again, I reiterate for women who are pregnant or have just had a baby, in most cases, postnatal depression will be milder. Even in cases where postnatal depression or illness is severe, they will make a full recovery. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately for me, it opened up a tendency to a life. Of clinical depression slash major depressive order major depressive disorder, which is tends to be called now. Not quite sure why they made the terminology different, but nevertheless, they're both the same thing. But when I was first diagnosed, there was nowhere to go.
1: Mm.
3: You know, that's why I spoke out about it. I think that was the start of me when other people tried to shut me down. Mm. For my own good, not well, for anybody else's good. imagine you
1: speaking out about it compared to how many thousands of women or men at that time weren't speaking out. Nobody about
3: was, it. as far as I'm well, aware. You were you
1: warned not to speak out about it? I was. I who, was
3: advised
2: professionally.
3: I was advised by my Korea. agent hmm. at the time, who, okay, he was 135, but he, you know, he absolutely said, "Oh my dear." you mustn't be talking about this. People will think you're mad. You'll never work. And my family, much as they supported me in everything, were worried that the pressure would be too much. And they also did worry that because people didn't understand it, that it would affect my, at that point, burgeoning mm. career that was sort of, I'd been in the theatre for 10 years, but my television thing was just starting mm. to happen. Mm. In a, You know, and... um it was, and I didn't know a lot about it. I just knew that I had nowhere to go. There would be articles in magazines. You know, you'd buy, the the shelves were stacked. Obviously nothing was online. We didn't have online in those days. We didn't have Google. The shelves were stacked with your parent and baby magazines, all of which featured the smiling, perfect mother and the smiling perfect child and there would be all these articles about the physical things that might happen and in a tiny corner would be if the baby blues persists in more than three or four days go see your gp that was it i found one address which was for the a thing called the association for postnatal illness there was no telephone number they required a letter dk i couldn't lift up my own toothbrush you know i was catatonic i was so ill Had it not been for my mum, who took unpaid leave from work, I don't know where I would have been. My mum and my dad and my sister and my then-husband Tim knew that what I had was a serious illness. It was never questioned. But as I became more involved in the depression world, I realised that I was in the minority, that most people had done the... I mean... How long is this going to go on? for? She's had it how long now? The baby's a month. Take her to the metro center and buy her a dress.
2: Yeah, well, that was what the big—that's why you said in three parts for this documentary. Because if you look back to the first part, would be, you know, how was
3: it handled in the big? Be- you know, bring me back to the yeah, beginning again. So, which is yeah, what you should do. Yeah, the the point of this passion project would be. If you go back to the days of the philosophers like Homer, people like that. They talked about melancholia. People would die melancholia, which was depression, but it was undiagnosed. That's just what they called it. People over the years were written off. People still think of ECT, electric shock treatment, which is electrocardio- Convulsive. Convulsive treatment, but we call it electric shock treatment, don't we? They still think of it as a terrifying treatment of the days when you see these Victorian films where you know, women mostly are shackled to a, you know, with great big sort of steel things shackling them to a bed and all this voltage going through them. In theory, that is what happens. But the origin of ECT, which I thought was fascinating, because I always wondered how they would find that this thing going through your brain would, would stop thick, black, immovable depression. when nothing else works is because epilepsy is a separate condition to depression, but obviously some people with epilepsy will also suffer from depression. They discovered that when an epileptic fits, they can fit themselves out of a depression. Okay. So whatever is going on to cause the fit the result would often mean that the epileptic person who was also suffering depression it would lift the depression
1: this so interrupted the electrical pathways
3: something like that and as i say when i talk about depression i don't profess to be any medic on it this is mm. just stuff i've learned as a layperson as a layperson i know a lot about the condition and um i found that fascinating they were once going to take me to have it done um but it turned around with something as simple as the holiday that I was going on and dreading. They took it, my mum and dad took it out of my hands and cancelled it and said, mm. the people you're going with aren't disappointed at all, they're totally mm. fine. Mm. And it started to lift because my depression was so bad I couldn't speak. Mm. And the doctor came around and he said, I'm booking you in for CT tomorrow because it was immovable. But I didn't have to have it. But I know people for whom it's been a great success. Mm. Um, I'm not saying it's not frightening, but the point being is that I would love to do a documentary that starts back in the day mm-hmm. and we realize the treatments that were going on in, you know, in your mental hospitals. My mum used to work in Prado Mental Hospital, which was for the, the the mentally handicapped. So these people, my mum used to say to me, my mum worked on a ward called Sagan, and uh she and there were people who were literally so mentally um poorly that they were um you know rocking in in a chair in a corner and had been like that for many years with no hope of ever coming out of that and my mum said that many of those people women would have been put into the hospital for undiagnosed postnatal depression and undiagnosed menopausal symptoms and then became completely and utterly institutionalized mm. because there was no... It was just, you've got to pull yourself together. We didn't have that in my day. You know, And yet when you talk to people of my then-grandmother's generation, my granny's generation were the most unsympathetic to my illness because they all said, well, we didn't have that in my day. You just had to get on with it. But then you'd say, I've said this many times to you, Granny, what happened to Auntie Vera? Oh, she... Um, She went a bit funny after the birth and they were just put away. They were taken away. Um, But they never, but when I talked about postnatal depression, it never, they never related that to going a bit funny and it's going away. It was interesting. Mm -hmm. So I've read and learned so much and it would just be to me fascinating to start with how, how there was no treatment. When we've been, you've been with me. I don't know if you were there when they showed, I'm a patron of mind and, as many times as I can go to the Mind Awards and there are often films from all over the world that people have made um, and they are how different countries and cultures treat or, or not treat mental health issues and it's terrifying, it's terrifying. I think these days, you know, often you can't wait for things to be commissioned, you know, if you don't get off your arse and sometimes, but if you make something on
1: commissioning that because it will make a difference to the future.
3: I think it will. I just think that it will be, it would be fascinating, I think, for people to learn in a, if the story is told in a when I say entertaining there's nothing entertaining about depression but made in a fascinating way for people to understand it because people do log in when I'm talking about my illness because they don't it's not something if you haven't it's like anything if you haven't been touched by it's like ADHD I'm not touched by it so I didn't really invest in the story of it until yesterday
1: but depression is very common a yeah a lot of people will either have had it or have been touched by it, a member of their family. Yeah, right?
3: they have, but they don't know very much about it, mm. which is why my book did well, and which is why people say to me, I didn't know about that until I read your book.
1: How did the short film with Louis come about then?
3: That was something I did on on my own. I'll tell you <laughs> where the money came from it for, from. I was involved in, um, I was hacked by the Mirror Group for several years, as many of us were on the television, which caused major distress to me and to my family and because what happens as a result of being hacked is that you lose trust in everybody around you because you don't... Because at the time I was hacked, we were all hacked. We didn't know hacking could happen. Hmm. So things were discovered about us that ended up in the newspapers that the only way in our minds it could have got there was by somebody we trusted telling people. Right. So you therefore are confronted with stories that only either a member of your family or a yeah. trusted friend knows, nice. and that ends up being in the papers. So it's either the person's gone to the papers or they've told somebody that they shouldn't have told. Yeah. So you end up being in a situation, especially my life was a bit out there, so I would just live in a world where I thought the paps just know where I am all the time. But in fact, they didn't. They were listening to my phone and to my answer machine messages. And not only were they doing that, which we then discovered. When I was obviously with Lincoln, we discovered it. They were um, hiring people to put a bug into my hotel bedroom at the at a hotel in London, um, the St. George's Hotel in Regent's Park, which isn't there anymore but it was at the time, and um, on two occasions, they bugged my bedroom. Um, And also, after 9-11, um, I had been with, I, I was in a really bad state. I was filming The Vice. Everybody was in a bad state, but it brought, I, I ended up dipping into a massive episode of depression and having to continue filming, and it was really awful. And um, I, um, I met with a, a bunch of uh, people, and... I was doing cocaine at the time to try and medicate everything. It was just awful. Anyway, I was befriended by this girl in a bar who I took under my wing. She was this poor little rich girl called um, Mina, Mina, I think. Anyway, we swapped numbers and she contacted me over the years. Not over the years. Over the next few weeks, was I going to be in London? How fabulous it was to meet me! Would I go on her dad's boat with her up the Thames? Bearing in mind, I had Matthew, who was twelve, and a newborn baby. So I'm, I'm being, you know, ninety-nine percent of the time, I'm not partying. I'm being a mom. So when she would ring me, I was, oh hi, Mina. Um, no, I can't, I'm I'm in the North, I'm taking Matthew to school, I'm going to his parents' night, I'm bathing Louis, I'm doing all of this. So 20 of possibly 21 phone calls she made to me, that was my life, to the point that she became quite persistent, you know, but I really want to see you, we had such a great night in London, and I eventually, I don't know if you can see this, but I'd eventually see her number, I don't know why I answered it, but I'd go, you know, hi Mina, you know, and I was also doing, I was doing a show called Soap Fever that I did for ITV2. I don't know why I remember her ringing me then. But anyway, the story goes that I then went to Spain for a weekend to do a photo shoot with Beverly Callard and Gabby Glaster. We were all in Corrie together. I decided to stay an extra day. They came back. It pissed down after they'd gone. So I just was a waste of time staying. And that night I got a phone call from Mina and I was in a position to talk to her for ages because I was in the pouring rain in my then flat in Spain. It sounds like I was the most naive person in the world. I wasn't naive, but she was very clever. And she was chatting to me and I'm chatting to her and she's talking about a party and had I ever done cocaine? And I said, yes, you know, high days and holidays, this, that, and the other, blah, blah, blah. And, um, Thought nothing more about it. And I kept, flew back from Spain, went to a friend's birthday party with Matty and Louis in arms in Somerset with my parents. Seventies party, we're all dressed up in the big wigs. Fled trousers and the works. And I get a phone call from the Daily Mirror, Sunday Mirror, saying, hi Denise, this is, I don't remember, Ben Bloggs from the Sunday Mirror. Please don't blame me, I'm only the messenger, but the Sun are running a big story tomorrow about your cocaine use and You're partying and you're this, that, and the other. And I said, well, that's not true. And he said, we've got the tape. I didn't think to ring a lawyer. I was cold. I couldn't think what tape they had, who they had a tape from. My friends were there, a bunch of my gay friends who were all gossips, loved dearly. One of them is no longer here. And I blamed them all. Must have been you. You're a journalist. Lester, this, that and the other. Horrendous. And I I got my friend Stephen to, it was in the days where the papers came out at 10.30 at night at the railway stations in London. Mm. And I got my friend Stephen, whilst all the time trying to pretend I'm having a great time at this party, I got Stephen to go to King's Cross and he rang me and he said, it's fucking terrible and it was across the whole front of the page, my cocaine exclusive, and I had a 12-year-old son downstairs, and it was just horrendous. I don't condone what I did. Anyway, I sat bolt upright at three in the morning, and it's the first time that it occurred to me that it was her, because of what I'd said, you know, in the article. And... um. I rang her and I just said, and you know, she went to me. Three in the morning. Hi. I said, hi, Mina. it's Denise. She went, hi, babe. How are you? I said, all I'm saying is that I hope that you enjoy your blood money and that your parents are very proud of you. And put the phone down, that's the last I spoke. And it turned out that she, she was Myra Mahmood, who was the cousin of Mazia Mahmood, who you may remember as the fake sheik. Mm-hmm who was setting up members of the Royal Family and stuff for the News of the World. Yeah. She was his cousin. And it all turned out when I eventually met the guy who had hacked me because he had a breakdown and came clean. that it was all set up. So she hadn't just bumped into me in this bar. She'd been sent. I'd been set up. I'd been, what's the word? Begins with an E.
1: Entrapped.
3: Entrapped. It was entraption. Is that the word? Entrapment. Mm. Entrapment. Um, And, Hmm. and subsequently I had to spend five hours in Putney police station because the guy who um, had hacked me had a breakdown and he had, he'd been on the crime side of the mirror, not the showbiz side, the crime side. And somehow he had been set to trap me. to to hack me, he didn't want to do it but he was told he had to and this is where it goes into like a Sherlock Holmes mystery, he'd been sent to the hotel where I was staying at in all of these documents I'm referred to as DW, you see your life in front of you Mm. and he had been told to book the hotel room opposite to me as he got there coming out of my room were two guys and he said I'm from the mirror. Who are you? And they said, we're from a. <laughs> this honestly sounds like I'm making it up, but it's all there. We're from an investigation company called Tipping and Dove. And we've been hired to put a bug into Denise Welsh's bedroom. And um, there you go. And that's what happened. And then I, um, I had had an extramarital affair when I was married. He had sold a story. It was horrendous for me. It was my fault I had the affair, but it was horrendous. He told me that he had no choice, that it was going in anyway. I said, well, how did they know? But what had happened was he'd gone away to Peru or Cuba or somewhere like that with his brother. He'd been sat in a nightclub and he was a carpenter and he'd been sat in a nightclub. And these guys approached him in Peru or Cuba and said, hi, we couldn't, you're, you're a carpenter, yeah? Yeah? Yeah, we heard you talking. Um, we're from Channel 5 and we're doing a documentary about builders. No, they weren't. They were sent by the mirror to um, get information on him to another country
2: does everyone talk to strangers except for me Can you imagine someone coming up to me and saying oh yeah you're a painter what the,
1: what the fuck are you in fairness Lincoln we do get a lot of people inquiring asking to speak to you about stuff
3: yeah but I mean I don't but he probably I just
1: doesn't don't does he? I don't even tell him anymore
3: what was the origin again of me talking
1: about? I was talking about your film with Louis. Oh I, 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 I don't know. We,
3: know. we started. With, I would have gone to bed tonight. We started with the depression, right. documentary. LDK. I don't know how it's
1: going to link in. I'll I'm, tell you how it links
3: in. I'll tell you how it links in because we went to court. All of these Levinson inquiry things are all split up. Mine was Operation Wheating and Operation Golding. So you are grouped in with different people mm-hmm. whose cases will be heard. I didn't have to prove anything because my guy had come clean.
4: Right.
2: He
3: had, he had told the police I hacked in East Welsh. Right. So they came to me and said, you don't need to prove anything. Right. We have it all. I went to Putney. It was just a case of getting the right lawyer to get the right payout. So I got a payout. Mm-hmm. I should have got more, but I got a payout. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I have to. That time caused me so much mental anguish right I'm putting some of that money into making a film about mental health right. about mental illness. I don't care well I do but if no one sees it, if no one likes it, if no one appreciates it, I have to put something in to doing something to highlight mental illness. So I talked to a friend of mine Nick Roundtree who had always who was an actor but had always wanted to make a film who had also had mental health issues himself. So, understand the story. and, um he came up with I came up with the sort of some of the premise. he came up with the idea of a of a, of a teenager teenage home invasion, and the the teenager was the depression mm-hmm. in a sort of metaphoric kind of way right. Louis obviously was the go-to person um to play the young boy. I think he was only fifteen at the time, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. and he was he was great in it mm-hmm. um. Black Eyed Susan, which Mm -hmm. they thought the character was called, was actually the name of the, Nick wanted it done in this colour palette of yellow and black. So that when the film started, it wasn't black and white, but it was very muted shades. And as the woman, me, was improving health wise, colour started to come in Mm. with yellows. There'd be a yellow bread knife. A yellow bread bin. It was done and the very sun and the, the sun, uh, the curtains shine, yeah, so. coming in. And the flower like life coming. The, into the, the, the sunflower with the very black centre in the yellow flowers. One of those sunflowers is called A Black Eyed Susan.
2: Right. And that
3: was the name of the film. Everyone thought it was Susan was the name of the woman, but she didn't actually have a name. But that was okay. And um we did very well at some festivals. Yeah. You know, we put it through the LA, festival was circuit. Was we won this film it? in a yeah. in an LA festival and um it was um it was a it was a it was a learning curve for me to be an exec producer because Nick and I, who'd never fallen out, boy god we had some humdingers. You know, we're still friends to this day, of course, it was artistic differences, but I felt that he didn't want me in the room sometimes and he didn't. <laughs> In the edit, he didn't want me in the room sometimes. But um, it was was a fascinating experience and we had fun doing the festivals. and, And the way that it was told did actually, you know, so many people who saw it said, wow, I didn't. And at the end, the final shot, you can still get it on YouTube, see it on YouTube. The final shot, whereas obviously Louis was nearly my height when he was the teenager. But the final shot is me walking away from camera with just my back holding the hand of a child who is dressed in the black hoodie and the black trousers but is down there which is basically my way of saying I'm the depression never quite goes away mm. but so I'm much idea? always there mm. but I'm much more in control of it than I used to than I used to be type mm. of thing so it was a different way of telling the story mm. <clears throat> Oh, darling, let's not have a break. Please let him talk about his crimpet. I totally forgot that oh, we were going to start about talking about your crimpet. Basically, Lincoln of... showed me this thing, and I said, "Oh, oh well, let's talk you, about it on the podcast." You don't what know is we're it? We're doing an unboxing. Show me it, we? darling. Yeah. Show me your and, crimpet. Uh, Bless you. Show me your crimpet. Look, look, I.
2: Right. So. <laughs> so this this. I saw this advertised on Instagram and I, I followed and mentioned something on one of the posts or something. Well, and then they me? said, no, no, they said, we'll send you one. We'll send you one. So well, they This they
3: is sent... you being an influencer for the trip. You're so not wearing sent... a swimming costume, though. So they sent... Look at my Instagram if you want to know what that means.
2: So they sent me one. It's in here. Basically, it's, you know, it's going to be a bit pointless because it's, it's a podcast, but it's, well, yeah, but you can show it to Yeah, so you yeah, 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 yeah.
3: Anyway, yeah. just explain it. All right, okay. Can see it so there's, it's
2: very, very simple. There's two There's two pieces of plastic.
3: I'm looking at a yellow square and a black square. With like a crimp around the edge. Like a crimp that's yep. so that together. Made of
1: silicon. food grade silicon, I'm assuming. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And it's yeah, only yeah.
3: about two and a half inches, three inches. Oh, uh, come on. Do
2: it with your thumb. Um, How many inches
3: oh, across? Well, I don't know. A thumb is that. That's an inch. That's three three to three and a half.
2: Three to the crimp. Oh, oh, uh yeah, it basically it, uh, uh, so You, can, you could you could put if you cut the um if you cut the corners off the, you know, cut uh, You haven't told us what's for yet. Right, okay. So you put the bread inside. Ah, there. the bread, okay. Right, you put the bread inside. The reason it was because I was going to get one of those, uh what are they called, Breville? they Breville. Breville. sandwich toasters. Sandwich toasters. Oh, I love them. Toasting right. Maker, yeah. Yeah, the toast maker. Yeah. But they're quite messy, right? They're they are yes. quite messy, aren't to they? To get
3: they? to clean, they clean
2: are, Clean out yeah. the cheese and all that stuff. Yeah. Anyway, this one.
1: But, man, they're nice.
2: Yeah, they, they're, are nice. they are lovely. Lovely, fresh, white slice in there. Cut round it. Right, and then you put your filling in. You put cheese in. Yeah. Ham, tomato, whatever you want in there, onions, whatever. Yeah. You get the other top of the crimp. Top of the crimp it, you put it on top. So you got the thing you've got there. Yeah, so you got
1: two. uh, A second piece of bread first, no?
2: Yeah, second bit of bread. So you put your bit of bread in there, put your filling in, whatever you want. Yeah. Then you put your other bit of bread on top, then you get this and you put it over the top and you basically push down and crimp it.
3: Well, yeah, but where 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 are you heating it up?
1: So what? No,
2: so listen, that, listen. Right. What sealing. you do is you open it. It seals the bread together right. like a lovely little package, like a little, right? Yeah, and then you so you take it out and you put it into the toaster.
3: Into the Breville toaster? No,
2: you just put it into a normal toaster. What? Yeah, you see, so you, you crimp it together, crimp, crimp, crimp. Take it out, you make it open pocket, it out,
1: a sandwich pocket. pocket,
2: and put it in, put it in. You got, and it goes lovely golden brown. Like pop and all with your sandwich yeah, in pop tart, but savoury. And then you basically have any. Anything you want inside. Darling, we are trying the crimp So I'm crimping out. Why
1: is, is it so small? I
3: think I might have to Smaller have two a more piece of bread. No, you're right. DK, we need two crimpets, don't we? Not no, I'm not sword.
1: in charge of crimpit.
3: Well, look no, but, but, but. If you were having a, a crimpet, you'd want two of those.
1: Oh, well, I'd, I'd have four of
3: these. So, uh, DK, you've just said why is it so small? So don't make me look like the gluttony one. Right. So. Lighter life won't be pleased mm. at all. I'm very, very well by. Carry on.
2: So, yeah, so the basically.
3: Oh, I wonder if Lighter Life might be a straw podcast.
2: You know those, you know Warburton's do those little, you know Warburton's do those little, uh, like really thin, like nice square. Yes. Quite Warburton right. thins or Warburton thins. This, it literally, a Warburton thin fits in there perfectly right. and you can thin mm-hmm. it out.
1: Yeah. But does it have it. to, is it meant to like overlap so that the crimp has something to grab?
2: Yeah. Yeah. So that go, basically, when that goes in, that it goes, it, it pushes the, all together, all nicely around yeah, the yeah, edge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah? And then you do that. Or you can use bread, and you obviously just, you know, you cut your what's
1: names off. Pass
3: the it to me, please.
1: So, uh, Friday game. night in the Welsh Townley household.
3: Oh, my Crimp. God. It's all going on with the crimpet. There, crimping out into there. Squidge, 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 it. Squitch, 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 Maybe crimpet will be our sponsors. Sponsored they're by better, crimpet and later They better be later now, the time they're Sponsored getting. by crimpet, Breville, and the... Oh, no, we've been the Breville. I Breville's still like a... a Breville. We like a Breville. We do, yeah. But this is an, an alternative to the Breville. Crimp it, take it out, pop it in the toaster, Bob's your uncle. Well, what would, yeah. Fine, you know, yeah. We're going to come back
1: next time well, and you've got to give we'll us come back. You, can, you can give us you the, can give the version. You know, I don't want to hear you being electrocuted out by of tomatoes five, and your toaster slipping out Death, a bottle. That's, that's true, crimped. You never true. know.
3: No. So, guys, if there's anything that you've ever heard me talking about that you'd like to hear more of or indeed anything you can suggest that me, DK and Lincoln can bring to the table, contact me on denisewelshpod at gmail.com. And um, indeed, if you've got any questions, ask away. We'd
4: love to hear from you.